Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's December 9th, 2022, and 2022, 2022, yeah. Now it just sounds like weird sounds in my ear. Like, I I said it, and it was just one of those things, the minute you hear it, your brain is like, what are those sounds? 2022. That can't be a year. 2022. You had to have misspoken, but it is. We're almost at 2023. You are listening to Waypoint Radio episode 529. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. It'll never be the year 2022 again. That's, well, I mean, it will continue to be for at least a couple more episodes. <laughs> well, that's a sad way of looking at it. Guess we're not inviting time, inventing time travel, Cotto. Okay. Oh, that's true, I guess. I was trying to think of one of those facts that you see float around. It's like, it won't be... Like certain numbers, like the numbers won't line up this way again for another hundred years or something. Can I can I read you that? So I wrote, uh, I actually wrote something. This is Patrick Klepek. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, I actually wrote a feature this week. I had like a full day where I didn't have to do some sort of obligation. Um, and it was awesome. I finally got to go to an interview transcript. I had a chance to interview Genova Chen, to, you know, designer on Flower Flow, Journey, uh, the game they worked on for a while now, Sky, Children of the Light. Anyway, the, I just want to read you the opening of this piece. Uh, inside Genova Chen's web browser is an app called The Last Sunday. Users input their name and date of birth, and the app, assuming life expectancy is 80 years old, spits out how many Sundays are left until you probably die. According to the app, it's, quote, to remind uh, oneself that time uh, in life is limited and not to be wasted. When Chen and I were speaking in late October, the acclaimed designer behind Journey and Flower only had 2,030 Sundays left. Quote, how are you going to spend those weeks? Genova reads the browser tab shared with me on the call. Quote, I have people applying for jobs saying, oh, as a teenager, I played Journey and it left a strong mark in my life and I wanted to work for this company, said Chen. And it was kind of crazy to think about, like, wow, it's another generation of people now. That's just a quick reminder that I'm already on a dying path in the second half of my life. It's the first thing Chen sees on their like Chrome, like Chrome default. Some people have the New oh York God. Times. Some people have maybe Wordle or something. <laughs> This is just the Sundays you have left, according to now outdated CDC data. Because when I was looking up, I wanted to link to yeah. where this 80-year number came from. And the, the the app was made in 2016. And I regret to inform you the life average life expectancy in the last six years has gone down by about two and a half years. Ooh. Especially for us guys. Like that's the, that's the, I think the women are still holding on closer to an 80 average. But it slipped down to like 78 or something like that. Ooh. So. Well, happy holidays, everybody. Mm. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Waypoint Radio. Uh, we're all full of, we're brimming with good cheer. Real light uh, one and today. As, as, as part of the holiday spirit, you may have already heard about it up top, but we are running our holiday promotion. If you go to waypointplus.com, 
and use the coupon code WayHoliday, you will get 25% off an annual subscription. Now, it can be a little bit confusing as to how this all works. A lot of folks are expecting they'll be charged immediately. A lot of folks who are already subscribers uh, are expecting they'll be charged immediately and they will see their subscription date extend out a year from where it was going to leave off. Uh, The way it works by default, there are people who've figured out workarounds for this who really want to stack up memberships. Uh, But the way it works by default is if you are an annual member and you have like auto renew, uh, you know, turned on. When you use this coupon code, it will just be applied to the next time the charge goes through. Right. So if you uh, sign so up in June, because in years past, we've had sales at different parts of the year. Um, uh, if, it, if you signed up in March or in June and that's when it ends up, that is when you will still get that discount. It just applies when the renewal is finished um, as opposed to to right away, which is counterintuitive, but is the, is the nature of the, the system that we have uh, set up. But as Rob mentioned, if you go to waypointplus.com and scroll down a little bit, there is a link to gifting monthly and yearly subs. And if you gift yourself a sub, then you can just do the more traditional stacking of a year and be charged up front for it. Also, it's for some reason, you turn off auto renew and then you get an email saying, why did you leave? Don't worry, you didn't accidentally stop your subscription. That is just an email uh, thing quirk of the email system that we have right now yeah uh so in other news uh so dwarf fortress has come out on steam and it is apparently patrick already a huge success uh yeah it's not just a port of you know whatever is the current version of dwarf fortress this was a not from the ground up but a there's you know different visuals. There's tutorialization. There's a certain streamlining, uh, I believe, of parts of the games that that don't work uh, or not not don't work, but how how some parts of the games work. Maybe Kato, I know who is playing, <laughs> so can speak to speak to how that uh, does or doesn't work. But it's made in, in collaboration with the uh, original uh, brothers uh, who uh, not just created but continue to create uh, Dwarf Fortress and the publisher they had uh, partnered with, uh, Kit Fox Games. Um, put out a tweet uh, a, a couple of days back that said, this comes from uh, Tanya uh, Short. Uh, well, we hit, oh, sorry. Uh, the original tweet was, you, how many copies will Dwarf Fortress sell? Economist, studying historical Kit Fox data. Uh, around 160,000 units in two months? You, surely it'll be more. Economist, hmm? Me, let's see what the Steam algorithm does. And then the update to that just a couple of days later is that, uh, well, we hit that in under 24 hours. Hooray for for Dwarf Fortress fans and hooray for Tarn and Zach's brilliance. And thanks to you, Steam Algorithm, uh, which means they've blasted past, uh, you know, 160,000 in just 24 hours. Uh, There's been a lot of, uh, you know, really heartwarming uh, screenshots going around of, for example, in the the message board for Dwarf Fortress, someone asked, uh, I think quite seriously, did... Are there are people just buying this game because they've been waiting years to give these how much I don't know how much the game is 20 or 30 dollars um, you know, just b- give these people a couple of bucks for something they've enjoyed for years. And it's, I think, something like a 60 page thread of people just saying, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yes. I would I would I would point people towards uh, let me find the headline of the story because uh, I profiled the brothers uh, a couple of years back when they opened a Patreon um, uh, for a long time. Dwarf Fortress was just something that 
you know, was very easy for you to get. They were they were doing it for love. They weren't doing it for for money. Um, yeah, this uh, the Dwarf Fortress creators weren't in it for the money, but now they need it. For 12 years, Dwarf Fortress has been a free video game. It's finally coming to Steam, but only after rising healthcare costs forced uh, their hand. Um, so it's just a really interesting story. I There are many times on Waypoint Radio, you're going to hear me say, this these people deserve to be millionaires. But I think the Dwarf Fortress folks, maybe not using the exact language, but deserve to be comfortable uh, for the incredible work they've been doing for mm-hmm. decades now. And I'm glad that this game getting on steam getting the reception that it is is allowing for a set of folks that have essentially like had something incredibly valuable and at every turn have found ways to say no to the easy way out um they they deserve to have a little less stress uh in their lives as a result but the part of that they deserve less stress the people playing the game deserve all the stress <laughs> and so Kato, uh yeah. i'm curious You've been playing it. Have you ever played it before? And probably just for the purposes of, I think a lot of people who have heard of Dwarf Fortress know that it involves dwarves dying in, mm-hmm. in like increasingly sadistic ways. What What is Dwarf Fortress? Um, well, so Dwarf Fortress is a, uh, a sim game, a management game, a... Um uh, fantasy game. Uh, I played this game... For the first time back in 2010, I believe. 2009? No, probably 2008. When did when did they start working on this game? It was it was a while ago um, when it was still ASCII art, and I downloaded a, a version that somebody had. I think it was a... I don't remember if they had originally released this themselves or somebody else had 2006. worked on it. Is okay, okay. Wiki, Wikipedia is saying as the original, original release. Oh, well, hold on. A, available as freeware... And in development since 2002, the oh first alpha God. version was released in 2006. <clears throat> this is so Holy much shit. older than I thought it was. Uh, yeah, no, I played it like 2008, probably. That makes sense. Sophomore year of college. I had my little white MacBook that I had bought for college. Uh, the first computer that I wholly owned and could just do whatever the fuck I wanted with, which is part of why I was able to like download this weird um freeware game that somebody had made a mac port of uh luckily enough and i didn't get super deep into it because the game didn't have any tutorials and it was all ascii art and like at first i could follow it uh you start with like i don't know like seven dwarves but the second like the a second wave of dwarves shows up and like I don't understand people who actually could follow what is happening in the old art style. Uh, I, I tried to download an art pack back then, but I never really uh, stuck with it super long. I thought it was like neat, but I couldn't parse it, basically. Which um, I think is where a lot of people end up yeah, with this game. Right. Well, and it, 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 It's been compared very regularly to a game like EVE Online, in which people love to read about it watch listen to others talk about their experiences in it yeah but don't have a whole lot of interest in playing it themselves well because even or don't know how to get into it you have to have a literacy in how the game is working and and like how these these stories are unfolding within what the game is telling you i mean the the yeah there's kind of an 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 amazing amount of things being simulated uh almost all in the background and like there's somewhere if you dig where you can see 
everything that's happening in this world, like at a really granular level, um, to the point where like, like, I don't know if y'all seen the Twitter account, uh, Dwarf Fortress Bugs, uh, because the patch notes to this game are amazing. Uh, whenever you, like, um, let's see, uh, well, let's see, a bug, visitors hanging around past the point of their, uh, visitors hang around past the point of their clothes rotting off. That was a bug. They did, they didn't want visitors to hang out so long that they, (laughs) they're, they're actually like, so they're simulating cloth look at there's a pc gamer there's a pc gamer article yeah um called the most ridiculous patch notes from 10 years of dwarf fortress 2004 made them care about clothes more 2005 <laughs> fixed a bug where animals could rent rooms fixed bug with animals picking out clothes to wear fixed bug with mules shitting luggage cleaned up the bear situation the- 2006 <laughs> i'm not gonna read all these i'm gonna read a couple more added cat butchery Fixed problem with undead passing out from strangling. Made the corpses of small animals that die out of water stop teleporting. Made dwarves care if you melt down their masterpieces. Stopped soldiers from going to parties. Added mouths. Added an aperture flag that stops mouths from being gouged out. (laughs) (laughs) 2008 Uh. stopped children and babies from joining you on your adventures. What? Patch that back in. No, no, they have to stay home. They're too small, Patrick. That's just an extra mouth to feed. 2007 stopped elves from being pleased with unethical trades. <laughs> uh, it's, this is it's, elf propaganda. It's amazing. Um, but essentially, yeah, essentially what you start off with is uh, um, a world is created from a seed. Uh, you can change a bunch of parameters for this world, but it is randomly generated, and then like a hundred years of history uh, are are the kind of built up before you start. So, first off, you get that like you know the game cares about like legacies, it, like things get named in this time. You know, there's like kingdoms that rise and fall, areas get named by those kingdoms, um, all sorts of. Uh, stuff happens there that you can largely ignore if you want, but like it's all it's all written down, right? It's all it's all uh, it's all in the game, and the thing that you have to do here is like you don't have direct, you know, you don't have direct control of any of the, you know, much like The Sims, for example, but like even more abstracted, I feel like you don't have con- direct control of any of the the dwarves you just have parameters that you can set for for everyone um so one of the early things you have to do is to set a zone where they can put their refuse which they'll just put anywhere if you don't tell them to put them in in one specific place um and then that'll cause clouds of miasma to make them very sad and you don't want sad dwarves uh that's bad this is the one like kind of thing that you're really balancing against this is you can see the happiness of all your population at the top of the screen at all times don't like um, that we, just, just, I, we want no. happy dwarves mm, mm. what if I, if I could see the <laughs> happiness of my children at all times and reflected in a meter um and um at first it seems like you know surely what could go wrong these these dwarves basically live off of ale like you, you can 
have them cook alcohol and like live off of alcohol and mushrooms like that the, the you can make you can grow those anywhere basically um but pretty quickly usually you 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 find yourself up against a couple of different things there's either you you start digging and you're trying to make a house for these dwarves and you run into cavens you run into magma you run into all sorts of shit and you know dwarves die or you know a fucking goblin raiding company just comes through and you're like well i never ended up building any weapons for these people because i was too busy trying to figure out how to just make beds um and there's this one line in the um in i believe this has been in the original like opening for a while now uh where they 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 want to remind you that losing is fun part of the fun of this game is supposed to be like yeah you want your dwarves to survive but really it can be it can be very interesting to see what sort of shenanigans they'll get up to and end up dying and then like you have to start over in yeah. but it's really about those moments of just like wow this this simulation is simulated so far, so deeply that something kind of magical happens even though it's all it's not simulated in the way that you think like physics are simulated they're all like individual like lines of text and then like reading the different logs of like this is what was happening to the animals and this was what was happening to the dwarves and this is what was happening to the weather you create you synthesize yourself a kind of wonderful story of what occurred in this moment um and I'm I'm having a much better time of it this time around. First off, because they've added like a graphical interface and like you know uh, graphics that aren't ASCII graphics that are much easier to read, and an actual like interactable tutorial. Um, there was like always like a little guide that you can just like click through and read, and you just read through right. like this is how all the like, go to this menu to do this thing, and like you kind of go in order and you're, like. These are kind of the more important things that you should set up first, and then you go through like, you know, like reading a game facts guide for any sort of like esoteric game that didn't come with a manual. Uh, it's just like instructions, right? Um, this has an actual like tutorial in it, which like has you go through the motions of getting up to speed with like a base like dwarf fort. Um, Does it feel like that's gonna bridge the gap for people who've been like? put off by the complexity like do you like because it, it does seem like dwarf fortress the big hurdle was how do you get into dwarf fortress how do you become like right just conversant enough in these systems to start digging into what management dilemmas and also what stories it can generate yeah is this does this adaptation broadly like fulfill that assignment i feel like it i feel like it does it has for me at least um i am also slightly more inclined though like if you don't like management sims at all or if you've never like been right, interested yeah. in that sort of thing like that's it's never gonna like that it is very deeply that sort of game where you're like you're not assuming direct control you're setting up systems and zones and like giving kind of vague orders to get this uh system kind of running on its own usually um to a certain degree and i think that the new tutorials definitely do a much better job of of kind of on-ramping uh like i feel like i have a much better idea of like what to poke at next like what of the like 
you know, there's still a huge guide in here where it's just like a bunch of different topics. And it's like, okay, now I know, like, okay, I feel like I, I have enough of a grasp on to, to actually look into like, let's see if I can make some gems. Because one of my dwarves really wants to make some nice gem work and that would make them satisfied. Right now they're sad because we're not mining any gems. So let's figure out how to make them happy by mining some gems and making a smithy and I, making I, a... I'm always saying this at Waypoint and no one is listening to me. <laughs> Um, and that's exactly like that. It's, it's kind of fun that that is the, that is really the biggest, like there is a, there is a, in, in theory, an overarching goal where you can aim for making your, your dwarf fort big and making it a barony. Yeah. Like if it gets to a certain size, it becomes a barony. And then, uh, after that you can make it what is called a mountain home, which is like a legendary dwarf uh, dwarf uh, civilization. Ooh, everyone should die in weird ways. <laughs> right. Well, that's no. That's kind of what happens when you make a big dwarf hole, though. <laughs> right. Eventually, so somebody's gonna die in a weird way. You're gonna dig too deep. You're gonna find some shit. <laughs> but I, I have to. I, you know, j- this is just based on, you know, as someone that has no interest in playing this, but just an outside observer. I've seen a combination of it coming to Steam, mm. a lot of conversation around it, and then also. I don't know this is necessarily the tutorialization, but even just the aesthetically it being a little more approachable yeah. has gotten a number of people to go, okay, fine. I've heard so much about this. I'm going to give it a shot. Whether it sticks, I don't I don't know. Right. You know, but um I don't think you can discount little friction points yeah. like just adding it on Steam, uh, having the visuals look a little more <laughs> modern, uh being ways that can get people over the hump of a deeply complex series of systems that, um, you know, you kind of, you're going into it knowing there's like work ahead of you to find the fun. And that is not necessarily how most games work. Like we frequently are like, boy, nothing's happening in these opening hours and door forges up front is nothing's going to happen. Maybe not out. We know what I mean? Like, but it's, but so much stories that people tell everything is happening. Right. Everything is always right. happening. Like, like, but where to where to put your eye? What right. you know, like yeah. where to what what things to tug on? Um, you definitely have to is, is you have to definitely have to dig and want to want to know a little bit. But there is like like every every day, like every kind of like tick of time is kind of documented in some way or another. Where you're like, oh, so and so had a fun conversation with this other person. Um, and like this is every like individual dwarf has like a, a running tally of like the actions they've taken, um, and if you like feel so inclined, like that's where a lot of people do get these stories. Like they go in and they read like what each dwarf has been doing, and then you can start making connections to see like who's been talking to whom and what sort of gossip is being passed around, um, and what these dwarves. You know, it's kind of like the um, uh. uh Maybe uh, 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 sea monkeys is the wrong idea. It's but it's like you know, it's like an ant hill. It's what it is, really, right? It is an ant hill that you can like sort of guide, and yeah. you and and it's uh, or not an ant hill, um, ant farm, ant, ant farm that uh, that you can kind of guide and also feel okay with accidentally dropping some magma onto every once in a while just to see how they react. Um, but it has definitely uh, been so far a lot. I've played like three hours and I'm like, 
I tried to see if I could. What's funny is I, I played it for the very first time on a Mac, and then I went here on this work Mac to see if I can install it, and the Steam version only works on on PC, and I'm sad about it. Where's where's my where's my Mac version so I can have it on all of my computers? I need to see if it'll <laughs> run on my Steam Deck. Oh, I I bet I bet it may, it might be a little. I wonder if everything is a little too small. Then you might probably have some like, like you might have to scale the. You, I think there's using some, the little touch pads are probably pretty grim. Yeah. It, but, it also, uh, it adds. This is a big thing. This game didn't used to have mouse support. You had like a cursor that you would move around the screen to select things, and now you can click on things with a mouse. It's a, it's revolutionary. Like actually, in just like being able to like see what you're doing. Um, the the nice thing about the Steam Deck and Steam. Like the work they did prior to the deck launching is that, uh, like I just I literally just Googled Dwarf Fortress Steam Deck and like someone is actively working on a custom control scheme to streamline the controls. Nice. That the, it does run, it runs well, and they said it's actually totally possible to play the game here, but it's not natively supported. But the nice part about the Steam Deck is you can just hit, you know, it'll map by default, like, uh, we think this game is like a most sort of thing, and it'll just kind of guess. And that is that's, a lot of times that'll work, but frequently it'll be wrong and require customization. But there's a whole layer on the Steam Deck to just, hey, the whole community is using these controls. They seem to like them. Would you like to use these? Um, so my guess is if you give it a little bit of time, someone will come up with something that allows you to to poke at it in that way, which is cool. Um, so since we started podcasting here, by the way, uh, we got a bit of we got a bit of breaking news as, as it happens. Uh, so months ago, we talked about uh, Microsoft acquiring Activision. We sort of speculated on whether or not that would really fly in the regulatory environment that exists right now with Linicon running the FTC. Uh, and that remains to be seen because the FTC has indeed gone ahead with a lawsuit to block Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Uh, that does not necessarily mean, of course, that it is blocked, uh, but it does mean that for the merger to go through, it would have to go to court. And of course, uh, that is itself a massively uh, time-consuming and potentially expensive process. So this suddenly puts the Microsoft Activision uh, acquisition into uh, a lot of doubt. And, you know, Patrick, you and I were talking about this the, the, other, the other week. Uh, I, I kind of wish I had the, 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 the audio right now because I think we were both kind of <laughs> like, we could see them like voting to block, but neither of us is confident they will. Uh, you know, e- even though the, the story had leaked that they, they probably like that there was a, a strong uh, like trend in the a- agency's thinking to, to try and block this. Uh, but, I, but I still feel like we were, we were pretty undecided on whether or not they would actually pull this trigger. You know, the breaking news is going to be that Mike Flanagan's deciding to adapt the dark tower. That's, you know, that is also very meaningful. And we'll Hasn't that already been adop- think about. adapted? Uh well yeah they wasn't the there a whole Matthew McConaughey movie about the movie that did, no it didn't happen actually um no we I remember it time no we went back and, in time um, and destroyed it you're not supposed to talk about that no like, there was did, like there were gunslingers mm, yeah, and there was a tower no, it seemed pretty dark no cause a wheel and also that wheel spun around and erased that movie from existence uh, <laughs> it's so it's so fucking bad um and it was such a great choice for rolling this chain anyway so yes we I think we we were running along the track of it's not cynical to assume a deal of the scale will go through. That is, there is a long history. Uh, and even though I think both of us have been on the same page that 
this doesn't really seem like the most egregious deal to like push back against that uh you could see there being merit in in only going through the exercise of creating friction in the process uh but would they would they choose to do it here and there seem to be conflicting leaks sony announces you know prior to uh, us recording this there seemed to be microsoft may have had a sense of where the wind was blowing they announced these very strange deals with uh I don't know if the deal is with Sony. They just promised one to Sony. Uh, but they announced a deal with Sony, with Steam and Nintendo promising that for the next 10 years, Call of Duty would be coming to those platforms. Um, well, these were deals as, they were offering. I'm not sure they're actually signed, right? Uh, but the, Nintendo put out a statement and Valve put out a statement. Um, so whether that is formal in terms of a document that was signed, Microsoft did manage to get companies to acknowledge. Like the, I don't have the Valve one in front of me, but... Like Gabe Newell was essentially put out something that was like, this isn't really like we don't need this, but I guess it's nice. Good. Whatever you want to do, Microsoft. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> sort of I mean, obviously, there's the very libertarian bent of Valve slash Steam and, and all that. But that was like very, very funny. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, to quote from the actual uh, press release uh, from the FTC, uh, the Federal Trade Commission is seeking to block technology giant Microsoft from acquiring lead leading video game developer Activision Blizzard and its blockbuster gaming franchise such as Call of Duty, alleging that the $69 billion deal, I'm so glad we got that into an FTC press release, Microsoft's largest ever and the largest ever in the video game industry would enable Microsoft to suppress competitors to its Xbox gaming consoles and its rapidly growing subscription content and cloud gaming business. In a complaint issued today, the FTC pointed to Microsoft's record of acquiring and using valuable gaming content to suppress competition from rival consoles, including its acquisition of ZeniMax, parent company Bethesda Softworks. Uh, Microsoft decided to make several Bethesda titles, including Starfield and Redfall, Microsoft exclusives, despite assurances it had given European antitrust authorities that had no incentive to withhold games from rival consoles. Uh, My initial read on this, this is also just dragging out my previous readings on this, is I guess at this point I shouldn't be surprised if it doesn't, if it all falls apart, because I think every step of the way, there has been a little more push from government regulators, both here and abroad in a way that I don't think that we necessarily expected mm-hmm. uh, or that that scrutiny went more than surface level, you know, not shocking that maybe we'd be in an environment where there would be folks pushing back, but there's pushing back and then starting to claw beneath the surface um, where it's more less performative. Uh, and what appears to be happening here, I'm still of the belief that there, I shouldn't say out, I won't be shocked if it goes through and I won't be shocked if it doesn't go through at this point, which I realize is a, is a, is a hedge, but you could absolutely read this as, Hey, this is a shot across the bow from Lena Khan Mm -hmm. and this much more uh, aggressive FTC saying, who cares if we lose? Like it doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. They'd probably rather win, but do you want to do you want to do you want to go through this? Do you want to do you want to drag through the mud all that like we've talked about that lost opportunity cost? Microsoft is going to push forward on this. They are not going to drop this bid. But in the in the meantime, you know, this is where Sony is snatching up a bungee. Sna- you know, like ex- you know, it's very funny to see that you know, the the government is, you know, rightfully so, you know, <laughs> you know, pointing towards games like Starfield. Not sure if Redfall is the one that 
I'm putting in the press release to be like, gee, the games industry is about to, the, the, the balance of the games industry is tilting on the release of Redfall on multiple platforms. Starfield, different story. That is a, you know, once in a generation, tens of million dollars selling game. But you have Microsoft. When's the last time a high profile Square Enix RPG was released on the Xbox? It doesn't happen. Square is essentially a second party developer for Microsoft because they do exclusive uh, deals with Sony. And so they don't own Square, but I mean, functionally, what's the difference between (laughs) the new Final Fantasy not coming out on Xbox ever or multiple years later? Um, And so I I think this is in a place where they want to bleed Microsoft on the way through. Like, hey, you're going to get this deal. You're going to have cuts along the way. And then they also introduced a very reasonable chance that maybe they do win and and they put a stop to it. And so I, I guess I could see the critic, the, the critic of this deal would be that the, and I think, you know, we talked about this. I think many of the arguments don't necessarily hold up to intense scrutiny and are, are made in, in bad faith in terms of what the actual facts of the matter are in regards to how this deal would impact the industry, despite how big the number is. Um, and does that Coming discredit the FTC going forward? Huh? Coming from which side? Oh, like the arguments against the deal? Yeah, against the deal. Like, it's a big number, but I don't think it is equated to Microsoft becoming number one in the console business as a yeah, result. Yeah, but that's not what it's about. So, the like, the, like, you know, remember the way Lena Khan sort of emerges into notoriety is she publishes that paper analyzing... Amazon, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the Amazon's antitrust paradox. And, and so, like, what she's trying to do is move the paradigm uh, from sort of this this conception of if you can just keep prices flat or even like cause them to dip a little bit, then it's all fair game. Right. The only thing that we really care about is not even consumer choice. It is just that like number not go up and that that number is is your monthly bill or or, or whatever. Uh, and so, like, I feel like the you know, the, it's interesting to me that like the FTC is kind of hand waved away like Call of Duty, right? Like, the, yeah, this isn't what this is about. These guarantees. So this is what Microsoft has been trying to to kind of do with the emphasis on Call of Duty is to kind of indicate that, hey, we're not trying to silo away our most valuable properties. We're we're going to share and it's it's not going to be sort of a, a monopoly play, at least as far as Call of Duty goes. But the FCC is sort of putting a market down here that's more like just just structurally, we, we don't want to see deals like this happening. Uh, it's as too much big or at all. There are, there are, maybe the consequences don't exist today or tomorrow. But in it's 10 not years? just too big, but like just the like. The way a platform gets bigger and mm-hmm. becomes more and more important to get access to a platform or that consumers are increasingly discouraged from going to for from considering options outside that platform. I mean look, look at uh you know within Amazon itself like how many times do you end up buying something from Amazon Basics, right? Um you know like that is the sort of creep that happens as a platform well, attended, at this you know, point, Amazon search is so bad. I'm not even sure I can get the Amazon basic stuff. Uh, but but no, I mean, that's that's kind of, that's exactly it. Right. That, uh, you know, Amazon. Charges advertising dollars against its search uh, and its store inventory, and then it competes with with merchants who are bringing products to market on Amazon. A buddy of mine just replaced all the hinges on his door and he said, oh, I got this from Amazon basics. Like. The hinges for your door? <laughs> I mean, I was like, I didn't even know they 
made that or outsource it to some other third party company. But like, what the fuck is Amazon doing? They have doing? a little robot that sees like somebody is making some money providing yes. a useful good and service. And we're going to like see, we think it would be better if they were put out of business and we harvested <laughs> the, the fractions of pennies on a dollar uh, that we can give consumers. Well, at scale, that is, that. that is, yeah. that is. Hundreds of millions. That's good. But, but I do think this is how you end up with like Redfall being cited in the press release, right? Where it's right. like, look, the, the, the idea isn't necessarily how big is the game. It is just like the model that Microsoft will be able to utilize uh, with stuff like this. And I, and I do agree with you. Like, you know, we, we talked about is this the like if they if they end up taking this L, does Microsoft really deserve to be the one to catch this? Not really. It's just that the FTC let too many other pitches go by. And so right. now you need to start like reversing it. I'm still like not sure this is a deal that would be net positive for the game industry, but no. it's not going to be a disaster, uh, you know, an anti-competitive disaster the way a lot of a lot of other mergers have been. But you have to start somewhere. And, well, and they made that they made the you know, I think what's kind of clear, the, the, even though they point out Starfield and Redfall, I don't think even in this environment, the ZeniMax deal would have been subject to a whole lot of maybe increased scrutiny, but that would have been more performative than a, than a lawsuit. And I think the what's happening here is just the scale at this, even if you put aside the actual pot potential consequences and ramifications of the deal that are seen and unforeseen, it's just, it's big. And like, you have to start taking swings at these big companies if you're going to do the work of preventing stuff like that uh, down the line. Now, granted, the FTC did win the, I think it was the Random House, yeah. Uh, uh, yes, they lawsuit did. recently, and that one was also seen, if I recall correctly, as unlikely to 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 win on the government's. And uh, that behalf. one was an important victory because if we're talking about like, does this deal seem as scary? And as the Random House merger was uh, scary, like in the publishing the world, it's already of the book consolidated. Is, yeah. Yes, I remember seeing authors like like I like an explosion of fireworks when the news came out that that merger was not going to happen anymore because every author that I knew on Twitter uh, was just over the moon that was like, this is just going to screw us. We are going to get less money out of this. This helps nobody except the executives at these companies rooting for the consolidation. And so I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily as clean here as it was there, but, um, and again, like putting aside, you know, what I think about the deal or even the arguments, like, I just agree broadly, you should take swings at companies. Yeah. Like, if you're to strip away everything from here, I don't know anything about the games industry that I, Sony seems to be just trolling and being a shit um, in, in the arguments they're making, uh, especially in the EU. If I just had the facts of this case stripped of their context, I would say we should be in an, in a world where the government is saying, hey... Like put the brakes on it. Um, I think that is a healthier environment to be in. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. Once you fall, that can, can, can I share a weird thing? By the way, that I just Please. learned about our building. So once you sort of go through the looking glass of like how mergers and acquisitions like affecting your life, like there's two weird things that have happened in my building that are like super like local, but they're not because they're also kind of happening nationally. Uh, so. I mentioned I'm in a condo building, right? And like condo buildings are generally managed by property management firms. There's been a huge consolidation in that space. And our property management firm that's run this building for like, you know, 25 years got acquired by, I would love to name their name right here because fuck these guys, but got acquired <laughs> by a very big property management uh, firm that is like just 
has like millions of properties they they service. And they've done mm-hmm. this by buying up smaller property management firms, property management firms that, you know, actually manage and maintain properties. And it turns out if you want to make a lot of money in property management, you really can't do that unless you stop managing and maintaining properties. Well, so that, that costs money. That's Bob. what happened. You, you want running water? Excuse what? So this you was just the model. go to the store. So in the like in the one year, this this huge firm that is bought out, like you like it's so bad that our, our condo board couldn't even go around to find other property. Like there just weren't many left uh, available to service a building like this because they've all gotten acquired. And so like in the one year our building was maintained by this company, things went to shit, uh, just like across the board and literal shit. Like somebody on the first floor had drain backups, uh, like no. stuff that didn't happen in this building as much. And it's, you know, they finally found a smaller company that will come and do it. And the, the smaller company in, in taking this this account on has also discovered this, this this larger property management firm also just stopped paying bills. Uh, on like on services across the building. So like our building is months in arrears on like major important payments. And then, you know, we got these dodgy elevators. Apparently we used to be like, we used to have a local elevator company that serviced uh, the, the building really, really well. They like, they were local enough that they like, they knew the exact machines they were working on and they were, they're really good and, you know, could get them at any time. They also got acquired and now you have to deal with once again, like, I don't know if they're necessarily national, but they're like kind of super regional, uh, like elevator maintenance company. That's just, again, bought up and bought out a ton of smaller elevator maintenance companies. And once again, our load is breaking constantly and we can't get anyone out to fix it because they just, (laughs) they won't. Uh, and when they do, they start charging like overtime basically from, like midday like so you you like you get like two hours for guys to come work on your elevator and then you start paying this company because i'm sure the technicians aren't making it you just start paying this company uh like a massive overtime rate and so it's like it's weird things like this that i just sort of think of when i think about like the, the the merger and acquisition thing it's it's easy to look at it as like Oh, it involves like huge Fortune 500 companies like Microsoft, like Activision, uh, et cetera. But the weird thing is like once you start like following like, man, like they're having a lot of like corporate concentrations just happened everywhere. It's probably happening closer to you than you think. And it is like affecting your life in like weird but increasingly tangible ways. And then that's that's the other thing I tend to look at with situations like this. Uh, You know, why is it important to start picking these fights? In in part because like, you know, the fights that need to be picked aren't necessarily your sixty nine billion dollar acquisitions, right? They mm-hmm. might be the two million dollar acquisitions where it's like if we just take one more small firm out of this market, people in that market will have no options. You know, it's well, going to be the, like the, the, it was the uh, the Kroger, right? The, the, yeah. the grocery acquisition, like the grocery market. Do any googling on like the consolidation in grocery mike and it's just i mean that's another one the ftc has been fighting recently very rightly uh, i think so um and uh that's not the kind of stuff that comes top of mind because the money isn't as i mean it's big but it's just it's not as flashy and sexy it's like who right. cares if a grocer buys another grocer and it's like well 
Actually, there's a lot. There's a lot of reasons you should worry about that, or someone, someone, sh- someone should be worrying about it for you. It's the reason we have the FTC is you shouldn't have to worry about what happens when like Dominix goes away, but somebody should be wondering what happens Man, when I it miss does. Dominix. Yeah, that was that that and Jewel. There's a Jewel and the Dominix. With the did those merge? No, it was Jewel Osco. Yeah, because uh, we're Jewel and Osco. Well, Jewel Osco was there when I was a little kid. Jewel Osco were always were together. those separate though, or oh, is was it, it like they Jewel just Osco? had like the the Osco pharmacy would be inside the Jewel? I have no idea. I'm just wondering is that was that a merger before my time that I'm just unaware <laughs> of? Yeah, I can't remember, but yeah, but like this this is kind of it though, right? Is like you you start looking around and it's like what happened to all those little companies and all those little shops that used to exist that you'd sort of open up the phone book and be like, ah, which of these do I choose from? And now there's so many companies you're dealing with where they're kind of like, we'll maybe come do something for you eventually. Also, it's going to cost a fortune and go fuck yourself. And that's increasingly like the reality for a whole a whole bunch of goods and services. And so I, it, it's something I keep in mind with with things like this, where like in some ways, you know, these are almost easier fights to pick in part because you can say like, here, this is like huge, like global scale platform capitalism, uh, you know, happening before our eyes. But you also like you're trying to shift the window to the point where, where it comes around to being able to also fight uh, at the same time. These like smaller acquisitions that turn a whole bunch of like necessary and useful industries into basically like rent seeking operations. You can't do the small ones till you do the big ones. You can't just, you know, if if you're gonna work your way, this in this case you have to work your way down the ladder. Um, if you're if you're gonna yeah. start making justifications for those those smaller, uh, I mean, they happened a little bit, right? Like where Facebook, you well, know, right, or, the, the, you know, within the, the, the Giphy, um, like they were essentially for they bought the co- the company Giphy, and then the European Union regulators made them it. divest it. Yeah. Well, and also and that, that's small potatoes, right? Or it was uh. Did they actually end up blocking Meta from buying the fitness yeah, uh, the like, game company? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Like that's the that is like, you know, this is, you know, within the realm of technology, but I do think that is within the smaller scope of stuff that you are talking about, right? Yeah. Where uh like those are the sorts of things where it's like companies of that scale just like fuck off. Like <laughs> in some ways like do it the right way. Just go poach a bunch of people from those companies and build your own thing. Don't buy the thing. In the same way that they're kind of telling Microsoft, "Hey, if you want exclusive Call of Duty, go give go write them a check for two hundred million dollars. Don't you know? Don't buy the company. Um, right. Well, and that's and that's often the dirty secret, right? Is like fundamentally the FCC is out here being like, if like, yeah, actually, just go make a better product and off like win via consumer choice. And nobody wants to do that. No, <laughs> no, no. no. Sorry, Sony's certainly not involves, doing it. <laughs> that involves way more risk. It's it's way harder. <laughs> and like, I mean, you know, the the rap on Facebook is well, they can't. Right. Like at, like post Facebook, they've, they've never produced anything successful in house. Exactly. Everything's been an acquisition. WhatsApp, uh, Oculus, um, Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. All all acquisitions. So, uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens going forward. And, you know, this comes in it's, uh, just worth uh, touching on this before we we probably come to break. But, uh, you know, we've had uh, multiple successful unionization attempts uh, or not attempts, unionizations at. Uh, Activision Blizzard, uh, and then the the New York Times reported a couple of days back um, that Microsoft uh, and specifically Zenimax uh, that 300 uh, employees or at least 300 employees, and uh, within uh, the Zenimax, which has Bethesda Game Studios and uh, Arcane and several other uh, in, in software, uh, 
300 of them are working in the QA department are going to are looking to form uh, a union. Um, and that's uh, where you start starting from, like now you're starting yeah. to look, like sizable departments. Yeah. yeah. 300 and, th- and it's a it's still a QA department. I think we sort of our belief was the most likely spread of this going forward was going to be literally copying and pasting the model that existed, which was that, hey, a QR firm did it. Another QR firm is going to do it. And now we're seeing that happen, but at a larger scale. But this is how something like this spreads. Um, and it's really it's it's very it was very funny because we I think I, I had a, a quote at the end of our discussion that Ren and I when we were talking about this, that was, a, well, hey, if it can happen at Activision Blizzard, it could probably happen anywhere. <laughs> And then like 12 hours later, yeah. the news broke that it was happening at at Microsoft. And, you know, there was there was a quote that someone uh, added me about that was basically I, w- I wanted to credit them with it. I'll try and scroll down while um, I uh, summarize it. Um, but in essence, uh, you know, we're Microsoft as a part of this acquisition of Activision Blizzard came to an agreement Oh, with who? I forget. But but this, like, we're not going to oppose any unions. And actually, we encourage it, and we will recognize them upon formation, and we won't fight it. Um, you know, oh, here it was. Uh, this is from uh, Emil G on on Twitter. How great would it be if the biggest legacy of this of this uh, stronger merger was that it normalized unions in the game industry because Microsoft was too afraid to pull off the usual union busting? And I think that's oversimplifying. You know, a very complicated process and a lot of hard work that folks are putting in. But I can't I couldn't help but believe that had a ring of truth that their desire to have this deal go through forced their hand into well, not (laughs) forced their hand into not forcing their hand when it came to how they would normally probably respond to unionization uh, pitches. Um, And that if this helped grease the wheels in some way, that's really cool. Uh, and our colleague Jules Roscoe over at Motherboard, they also uh, published a piece just talking to some folks from that QA department, uh, like oh, sort of explaining some of the background on the motivations uh, for for doing this and and how they sort of came together to uh, to put together this this union drive. Uh, so be sure to check that out on motherboard.vice.com. Uh, it is death from a thousand cuts. Zenimax QA workers share why they're unionizing by Jules Roscoe. Uh, yeah, we will take a quick break there. Uh, I am not sure I'll be back after the break. I have to duck out to a very important business meeting. Uh, there will be spreadsheets, synergistics, uh, logistics, all sorts of things. Uh, there might be there might be slides, decks, you know, the stuff I get paid going to, to do. Are you going to see a video game or are you doing like a... I'm talking to the uh, people who, uh, the, the memberful people. Oh, we have a meeting. Okay, that's a meeting. This is a routine yeah. meeting. It is not. It is. Mm-hmm. It is not yeah. about. Hey, like you're the sales kind of confusing to us and to people. It's not that <laughs> meeting. It's mostly just like, hey, how are things? Well, the sale is a little confusing to us and to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're having a sale, and it's a little confusing to us and our and our audience. Uh, yeah, but that's that's what I got to duck out uh, for here in a minute. Uh, so we will be back. They will be back. Uh, After the break, I will be elsewhere. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right. Game Awards. And what? what? <laughs> I, saw, I saw a notification. The Game Awards is having a flash sale. What, what can we buy? I, I love consumerism. You can buy, you can buy Cyberpunk 2077 for 30 bucks. I'm good. <laughs> well, I already oh, bought oh, it. Oh, well bought. You, you can buy the Witch Queen for 20 bucks. That's Destiny? That's Destiny, yeah. What does it normally cost? Uh, thirty nine ninety nine, forty bucks. Mm, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Half off. Um, well, Rob is off having meetings, figuring out sales, like a sale you can get right now at waypointplus.com using the promo code WayHoliday. Get twenty five percent off an annual sale. Uh, for yourself or gifted to yourself or gifted to someone else. It's, it's up to you. Um. Uh, just briefly, um, you know, tis the season of game of the year. Uh, as I you know mentioned on the last podcast, I uh, got back to and finished Metal Hellsinger, uh, a, right. a truly wonderful uh, music rhythm game uh, centered around uh, metal music, specifically a lot of music for with the the singer from System of a Down um, and a bunch of other uh, metal groups. It's just really good. I, you know, I don't have a whole bunch of insightful things to say other than to <laughs> echo what I said before, which is the game is sick and it slaps and I I don't know that I wish it was longer for what it had. Hmm. It felt like right like the appropriate length. It took me about six hours to finish um, doing all the challenges, uh, uh, almost all the challenges. There were like one or two where it really required me to use a weapon I didn't like, and uh, so I didn't do those optional sort of bonus bonus things. But just a, a truly great game. Uh, if you are a fan of music. Uh, based games, I I cannot recommend it more more highly. So Metal Hellsinger, I know they just announced. Uh, are they announcing? I'm old man. Uh, now I got to check a press release to make sure I'm not. No, it'll be announced at the Game Awards. This will be out tomorrow. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> they announced like a 1.5 update that's got like some skins and a new wow. challenge mode. I actually had I had one towards the end of the game. It's very easy to press a button on the controller. Yeah. I actually found, despite the fact that, so this is a game kind of like Neon White that I wanted to play with mouse and keyboard because there's a precision element to it mm-hmm. that it becomes like really critical in higher level or more complicated play. But I was having trouble hitting the rhythm mm. as neatly on the mouse and keyboard mm. compared to a gamepad. I can't sure. explain that other than just probably more invested hours in holding a gamepad. But like the difference was utterly tangible. Yeah. In, <laughs> like my ability to hit perfects at a much more regular rate to the beat on a controller than I was on, huh. on a mouse and keyboard. Yeah. Um, but as the game went along, boy, I really wish I had the mouse and keyboard because <laughs> there were frequently times where there are so many enemies that my aim really needed to be precise right. in order to get myself out of some sticky situations. And some of the boss fights required a precision that really seemed to demand you be able to sit, hit a precise spot. Yeah using a mouse and I couldn't do that. Um, and there was one sequence where I'd gone to the next area 
And on the gamepad, it's very easy to hit a button and accidentally bump up the difficulty. And oh. on the second to last area, I'm just the first sequence. I'm just like, I did I. <laughs> what is I'm happening? sober. Like I don't have any excuses here, and I just beat a level. Yeah. Like what is going on here? I tried like three times, backed out, and my thought was not I need to take a break. I was like I'm not anywhere near beating this. Like mm. I'm, and this is the beginning of the stage. I'm, I'm fucked. And then I just fortunately glanced at the top and realized I'd put it on the hardest difficulty. <laughs> and then when I put it down to normal, oh. I was. It was still hard, but I yeah, was yeah. I was okay. Um, so Metal Hellsinger, nice. it's, uh, it's now on consoles. Uh, it just launched on Xbox and PlayStation. Um, I know I just said that it's better with a keyboard <laughs> and a mouse, and it would be, it would be. Right. But I beat it with a controller, and you'll be fine too. Um, I also started, and maybe won't say anything more until I finish uh, Immortality. Oh shit! Um, uh, nice. That game is excellent on a on a Steam Deck. runs runs really really well. Ooh, yeah. Um, okay. You know, it's mostly video, so yeah. that's not super surprising. But I, I guess more to speak to the interface being very adaptable right, uh, right. to controllers in a way that uh, not all mouse-based games or seemingly mouse-centric I games was, would. I was playing that with a controller. Yeah, I yeah, actually. So when I uh, when I loaded it th- uh, this morning to play a couple minutes before work started, I was like, oh, "Okay, I'll try this with a mouse." I was like, I think I like it better with the controller. <laughs> so I ended up turning on my controller yeah. and just and just use just to be, to get to all the different little things you're doing to. Or even when you're like well, scrubbing, not a ton, but you know, when you're like scrubbing, yes, the, the scrubbing analog, feels so much better. The analog nature of like the thumb, the thumbsticks yes. to like go forward and backwards, like that just felt so much better. Honestly, I agree. There is a tactile nature to it. Um, uh, I I've played about two hours. I will say, um. The lack of onboarding into that game is a little surprising. Just go. Sort of, <laughs> it just drops just you go. in and says, "I don't know. Look at these clips." I'm like, "Okay, why? <laughs> like, what are the stakes here?" Um, we just and, found them. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's very cute uh, and novel for the first hour. But I have to, if I'm being fully honest, in hour one to two, yeah, it was sort of. Yeah, okay, this is cute, but like, what do we, you know, just because they're uh-huh. like, in, I didn't play, I didn't play Telling Lies, but in her story, there's like a very clear, like, motivation, like, I know what I'm doing, like, why am I sifting through these? Like, what am I putting together? You know, right. there's a mystery element to it, but there's a more of a traditional goal. Um, and uh, so I did find myself Googling, I was like, does immortality have an ending? Like, what am I, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, yes. There's some things you have to find. I was like, oh, okay. And then this Did morning. You find one of the. So well, I don't want to. If people no. haven't played it, I don't want to spoil anything yeah. specific. What I will say is, and this will, I guess, make sense to you, is someone looked at me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Not really, but okay. I've got a hook. And yeah. so right as I was getting to the point where the novelty of the interface, the different eras, you know, just everything about the, the, the like the aesthetic of the game. Uh, How many was not wearing thin, but I needed. Yeah, <laughs> I need. Like, what are we doing here? How many hours uh, are you in? Uh, like a little less than two. Oh, I definitely found one of the things that you're talking about happened to me like in thir- thirty minutes in. I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" There's a bit of a chance element to it, right? No, there is. No. Yeah, yeah. So it's always interesting to see where like the first one pops up for people. 
Um, yes. But, well, and yeah. we'll talk. There, <laughs> there are variations of a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. One more direct than another. Mm-hmm. And uh, the indirect ones, I sort of just, I, I noted it, but kind of just moved on. And then I had one that I would describe as direct <laughs> that uh, had me going, okay. All right, favorite that one, and I'm going to have to sit and think about, figure out what's going on here. So, uh, yeah, really interesting. Curious to see more. I like a rare Saturday in which uh, my family is going to like a cookie, like family cookie, like making thing. And my Mm -hmm. wife and and the girls were uh, invited and I didn't. This is a very difficult thing to broach with uh, your syndicate other when you have children involved. But like, so, Katie, the framing of this seems to suggest I don't have to go. I'll <laughs> go. I would love to go. Right. I w- love your family. I love hanging out with my family. But am I going? Like, oh, no, you're not going. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. And I do like her family. But it was like, really? Like, I'm going to get like seven hours to myself? Damn. Like, well, I'm going to finish Immortality. And yeah. I'm probably going to play a chunk of Signalis. So uh, yeah. that is my good granted watch. We'll, good choices. We'll, we'll fast forward, fast forward much like in immortality <laughs> right. to Monday morning. Like Patrick, did you, did you do either of those things? Like, no, I ended up caulking the corners of the rooms in my kid's room because I could feel a cold draft coming in, which is true. I, I do need to oh, recaulk no. some of the corners. Anyway, that's immortality. It's out now on on basically everything, including uh, I think since the last time that you all talked about it when yeah. it came out, uh, it's on Netflix uh, now oh, as right. well. So it is it joins the ranks of games buried on Netflix because <laughs> nobody knows how to access them. No. But at this point, the lineup is pretty killer. Uh, and if you do happen to have a Netflix subscription, there are a bunch of games that uh, you can get access to. And if this game, I'd be curious how this game controls with. Touch, touch exclusive yeah. stuff, but it wouldn't shock me if much like the the gamepad that it felt right. it felt pretty good. Uh, before we get to questions, uh, anything else you've been playing that you want to touch on, Kato? Mm. Any any poka, poka updates or anything else that are worth uh, bouncing off before we no. listen to a bunch of people admit their public shame for saying things wrong in public, like me? <laughs> no, no. It's trucking along in Pokemon. I haven't started the mm-hmm. new Destiny season. People are yelling about that. Seems seems neat. I, w- I I tried to go back. And I mean, it's really just a wait until the expansion, though, right? I mean, yeah, but I think seasons. I think important. what they did is because it seemed like they have a certain amount of story, and this past one that just pa- that like the one that was just before this felt very much like filler. Uh, mm. I barely played any of it, and I went to try to usually. Uh, you can wait till like the last week and then just do all the story in like an eight hour session if you really want to, which mm-hmm. when I'm not keeping up with it week to week, I will just do that. I'll be like, okay, time to see what the story was. I couldn't do that this last season for some reason. The The way that the mechanics worked out, I couldn't move the story forward from the place I had left it because it had like, they changed kind of like the 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 framework. It was like you were collecting treasure coins to be a pirate and at a certain point you stopped being a pirate and you started donating that to community service to help out the 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 fallen or something and so i was stuck which is which has never happened i don't know if that's just like you have to be keeping up week to week now to actually receive all the story or if i was missing something but 
I ended up not actually seeing what happened last season other than uh, I got a cut scene that I think everyone got when like the there was a big community thing of like we have to collect a bit a million coins and they like beat it in like a day because there's a, a million players or whatever gotcha uh I do want to note this small there's a Axios uh, uh, published a follow-up about the Microsoft uh, FTC uh, oh. suing to block the Microsoft actors and Blizzard merger. And yeah. There's a really interesting quote in here. I, p- people smarter than me are going to go read go read analysis of this elsewhere. I'm not going to unpack this too much. I just think it's worth noting given we the, to kind of like bookend our discussion. Um, so quoting Axios, uh, the FTC chose to file the complaint in its own administrative court, not in federal court. Additionally, the agency is not seeking a preliminary junction to stop the deal from closing. So the two parties are still likely to close. I don't know exactly what that means because I don't have the expertise on how <laughs> what all those words mean, mm-hmm. administrative court versus federal court. I know what a preliminary injunction is, is basically they want the court to say you cannot close on this deal. Right. Um, and because it's easier to stop a deal from happening than it is to unpack a deal that has closed. That has closed I, already. I, would, I would presume that the the lift on getting that on to untangle a company that is closed on an acquisition is much harder than stopping them. Uh, but that's interesting. And yeah. I will hopefully we'll have more to talk about next week when I read more about what that means. <laughs> I, I, do we, is, are they going to say anything at the game awards? I don't think this rises to Jeff Keeley having to have an emotional moment about, no, that was no, the labor, no, no, no. I mean, the, I mean, from the companies, like, are they going to be like, and we're announcing our new mer- or like trying to do PR at the Game Awards, basically? No, I, I, no, I, I think, I think the most that there'll be is like some irony because mm-hmm. I would expect Sony and Square to announce some sort of exclusivity on some game, and it's like, oh, great, right. so <laughs> this merger is being blocked on exclusive, like. You know, citing exclusivity. Yeah. While Sony announces the release date for Final Fantasy, uh, was it 16? 16? Where are we at now? We're at 16. 16. Yeah. You know, being coming out next summer only on PlayStation. Right. Uh, sort of thing. So, uh, all right. Well, you can send in questions uh, to the question bucket or. If you were watching the quarry uh, as we were streaming on Twitch.tv slash Waypoint, the conversation pit. Um, as it it may be called in the future. Uh, This comes in from uh, Corliss in the UK. Hey, Waypoint Coup, Greg from Cleveland recently asked about the phrase, quote, coming in shit hot. Given how surprised y'all were by the phrase, I'm tempted to suggest the source might be British. Describing something as shit hot would not be unusual here, but I've never heard coming in shit hot specifically. In fact, the phrase appears to be a Google whack. A what? What's a Google a whack? Google whack? Like, have you heard that? No, I've never heard that. Can you Google I'm Google Googling whack? Google <laughs> whack right now. What- a term, a search term consisting of two words with no surrounding quotation marks that produces one single result when entered upon the search engine of Google. Google whack. You've never heard of that? No. Okay. The fuck is shit hot? Okay. In fact, the phrase appears to be a Google whack, returning only a single result from Reddit. For the other part of Greg's question, I'm like Patrick. I read a lot as a kid and learned the meaning of many words without actually knowing how to pronounce them. Even nearing the end of my 30s, I occasionally 
find something I'm mispronouncing for decades, like, <laughs> uh, like a segue, which for reasons I can't explain, I always read as they just they confused me as I was reading their explanations. Like, <laughs> have I been pronouncing this word incorrectly? <laughs> I was like, no, that's not that, that's segue. Segue. So, like, let me start over. Uh, I've been mispronouncing for decades, like segue, which for reasons I can't explain, I always read instead as Sieg. S-E-E-G. Sieg. Never made the connection <laughs> with the scooter. Love the pod and everything you've been doing uh, with Blade Point Plus. Fuck capitalism and happy holidays. Cheers. Uh, that is Amazing. very funny. We have some other ones that are Amazing. connected to this. Um, uh, some of this builds upon... Well, not this one. We'll, I'll get. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll recap uh-huh. my own shame uh, in a moment. But this comes in from. Uh, oh, not it is not from anonymous. Hey, gang, just listen to your re- recent episode when someone wrote in about using phrases heard on a podcast in real life and being met with confusion. This exact situation happened to me with the phrase "smoke on the street." I heard this phrase on a giant bombcast from Brad Shoemaker, and knowing Brad to be a smart and thoughtful guy, I employed it in a conversation with friends. When no one knew what the hell I was talking about it, we tried to Google the phrase to no avail. Alas, to this day, I still don't know where the phrase originates. Smoke on the what street. What does it even mean? Well, I, w- I assume it's a variant on word on the street, right? Like, what's I guess. The, yeah, what's the... What's the word on the street? Like, oh, what's the smoke on the street? <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming the, the, I might have the, been on this podcast. The search, Kato. like for yeah. all I know, you could have I was heard it firsthand. The search, the search when I when I look for it, uh, can I smoke weed on this street? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, if you're in New York, I don't. Know, I can yes. ask Brad. Um. Okay, I'll follow up. I'll. I'll I'm going to send this question to Brad, and I will. Well, next week it I'll feels, come back with an answer. Yeah, it feels like a. The word on the street is, like the smoke on the street is. I, I can see that. It's just like a simple yeah. word replacement there. Yes. Huh. Um, all right. So this is a public shame. Uh, we, have a, we have a couple of these. Um, so I revealed on a previous, uh, on the most recent podcast that I was in a hotel room with a bunch of people who were older than me when I was younger and like getting started in this industry. And I was always eight to 10 years younger than anyone in the room. Um, I said the word pseudonym, but I said <laughs> persuadonym um, because I'd never said it out loud and I was 14 and everyone in the room so looked at me and chuckled. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so this comes in from Phil. Highway pointers. Listening to Patrick's story in the last episode reminded me of my own moment of public shame when I proudly pronounced hyperbole as hyperbole. The worst part is I knew the word. I'd heard people say it. But for whatever reason, my brain had never connected the pronunciation and the spelling. I wasn't with prospective colleagues and work peers, but I was in high school reading aloud in front of the class. I'm still haunted when I see that word. Love you all, Phil. Wow. That is... Hyperbole is one I presume I must have mispronounced in saying it. Hyperbole. That's a tough one. Yeah. That doesn't... It doesn't read. I mean, English the is a at the end, really. really fucked up language in which so much in teach. Like my kid is in first grade and first grades where a lot of like the big building blocks for reading are happening where you're going not quite to full comprehension, but there's just a lot of just rote memorization. They call them uh, sight words, where it is like, hey, like is the of you don't want to have to 
like think about them. You should just like right. see them on site and you're like building this vocabulary. Um, and one of the ways they help kids work through uh, words is uh, you try and sound them out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and you sound out each letter. So like two is an easy one. Or like, t- ooh, ooh. And then you're supposed to say it faster. Two. And then, okay, I get it. Kato, mm-hmm. sound out use. You. <laughs> yeah, you, keep going. Use. E. Use. Sound out there. The. 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 E. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, now imagine you're six. <laughs> Uh, and you're frustrated. Yeah. Dad and daughter are both frustrated oh having done God. this for 20 minutes. And so Damn. the English language is, is, is bad and, and messed up. And so it, it does, you know, I think there's got to be a lot of instances where you look at hyperbole and hyperbole, I think, is a perfectly acceptable. Yeah, I know this person says they've heard it before, but that's a perfectly acceptable pronunciation <laughs> of a word that you don't know how to say. Because when you look at it, that does kind of look like hyper. According to the rules of everything else. Exactly. Hyperbole. Well, that's because the rules are cut. The rules, the amount of times the rules where you are have made to up. Just, when, yes, when she'll ask a question, she's like, I don't understand why it works that way. And it's just, you put your head in your hands and go, because. 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 Life is both unfair and the English language makes no sense. And you're going to spend most the of your English life. English language is like, I don't actually know what the real percentage is, but it's enough of a percentage of just other languages that we just like took. Yes. It's like Ooh, why we're is- a, melt- a melting pot, but we didn't take any <laughs> no. of the rules. We just mashed up other rules in contradictory ways. Uh, is it niche another- or niche? <laughs> <laughs> now, if we if we sat here and and I would rather I wish I would want Ren and Rob to be here right. as people who yes. do a lot of writing, <laughs> but there and I'm sure everyone has this. But what are words? That you can never remember how to write correctly. Oh. Um, and that you just rely on autocorrect <laughs> to catch will it. save me here. Because <laughs> it's just not worth it. Like, it's just never going to be internalized. And you get old enough at some point. <laughs> Ren can still be saved. Yeah. But, you know, me, you, Rob. No. Like, there are just words that just are never... Oh, a privilege? That's one. Pri- never going to happen. Privilege, privilege is ne- never... Privilege. And sometimes I'll write it out being like, I know how to write it this time. Uh-huh. And I don't. I don't. I don't. It's just never going to happen. No. I give I've, I give up. Uh, probably. I fuck up probably all the time. Mm-hmm, it's not even that hard. Mm-hmm, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, you just spell it out. But I somehow always... It, it's a typing thing most. It's more of a typo, really. But I always think I got yes. it right the first time, and I don't... <laughs> I have to go back. And then you see the little squiggly line. Like, <laughs> you should just right click and just say accept. And yeah. Like, don't tell me this is wrong <laughs> because you know what? It's right for me. Um, for a lot, uh, this comes from Sam in Chicago. Uh, for a long time, I thought, uh, oh, wow, this is another one. For a long time, I thought there were two words for a transition between topic, uh, be- uh, between topics. Segway, which was pronounced seg you and segway pronounced segway. The mobility device was released when I was a young kid, so I didn't understand the pun. This never came up until I said "seg you" at my own twenty-fifth birthday oh. party in front of all of my oh, friends. No. Needless to say, I was teased relentlessly for the rest of the day. I still think "seg you" when I read "segway." Seg you. Whoo! Thanks for all seg that you, you. do. 
Sam in Chicago. I think thought there were two though. Like so, thought Segway was still a also one, but just a different one. Well, Segway, the you know the, the you know the the much hyped uh, transportation device yeah. is phonetic, right? You can you you can work right. that out based on on the letters. Whereas, yeah, again, Segway the transition. Is is just that's just fucked up English. That's just g- good luck. Uh, um, uh, you just said that's just rote memorization. Uh, but you know, twenty fifth birthday party. Yeah, that's rough. Whoa, that's rough. That's buddy. a good one. <laughs> Thank you, Sam in Chicago, for having the uh, the bravery to share that yeah. with uh, with the crowd. Um, third one, Patrick in Tampa. Wow, I got Sam in Chicago. Wow, and then I got a Patrick in Tampa. Amazing. Hello, waypointers. Patrick's story about pseudonym, uh, I'm sorry, pseudonym, uh, brought back a visceral memory of my own from my elementary school days. When I was in fourth grade, our school had a spelling bee. I believe as the starting point for getting into the national spelling bee. Oh, I believe as the starting point for getting into the national spelling bee. But I'm getting way too far ahead of myself. Each class was giving a spelling quiz, and, on, and the top students from each class were selected from the school-wide bee. Out of 100 words, I got 88 correct, far and away the best score in the class. Wow. I was thrilled. What I did not know, however, was the spelling bee would take place in an auditorium full of parents and other students. I feel this is a good time to mention my crippling stage fright and (laughs) abject terror at public speaking. Oh, no. The day of the spelling bee arrived. I stepped onto the stage with my fellow students, saw the audience, and froze. I don't think I could have successfully spelled A if I had been asked. (laughs) When it was my turn, I somehow walked up to the microphone, received my word, and promptly, and I was later told, very confidently, spelled children. C-H-I-L-D-R-N. I was out and had to spend the rest of the spelling bee on that stage, <laughs> watching everyone else spell words and trying to pretend the audience didn't exist. <laughs> the fallout from this was the other kids in my class didn't believe I hadn't cheated on the spelling quiz. Wow. And spent the rest of the school year demanding I spell random words just hey. to test me. <laughs> Do not recommend. Keep up the amazing work. Patrick <laughs> in Tampa. Amazing. That, gosh. I uh, I've never had... I get extreme anxiety before I go yeah. on stage to do a thing. Yeah. And then am able to just completely suppress all of that when I've I've got I actually go on stage. Um it certainly helps when I when I was at Giant Bomb and that was kind of the first time I was doing a lot of that and I was expected to be like funny, interesting or whatever. It certainly helped to have like two or three beers beforehand. That certainly <laughs> greased the greased the wheels uh for for something like that. Um, but even when like I won, you know, I've mentioned on this podcast before where I, I like, I need to find it. I don't know if it exists. I'll have to ask my mom. Uh, the, you know, I won the, like I was picked. There was like one boy and one girl who wrote an a- essay about the dare program. Right. You know, uh, the don't do drugs. And I was picked to read whatever copaganda that I wrote in fifth grade. <laughs> uh, I, I would just be so curious to see what. Yeah. The essay I wrote that was clearly just bleh, like <laughs> I th- I think homeless people are animals like you know I'm like whatever I like I'm like, whatever I was like spitting back out yeah. at that age yeah. um uh and but I I that was an early indication that I was able like at least capable of doing things like that and then as I've gotten older the one time 
the most anxiety I've ever had uh, was when I was invited years and years ago, 10 years ago, I think it was 10 years ago now, hmm. to do a TEDx talk. So it's not a TED talk, but it's like ah. you know, put on by various local, uh, yeah. you know, people. Uh, like so it was at a university in Michigan mm. and they invited me to do I'd done a bunch of essays and discussions about um like online harassment and comment sections and so I was I don't I did something on that. I'm sure half of what I said in that I would now take back. Um but you know it was something I put a <laughs> lot of work recorded? into at the time. Does it exist on the internet? <laughs> yeah, but I uh oh, I probably oh, uh, no. nah, I should have said anything. Oh, like who no. knows? I, it can't be that bad, but uh, <laughs> uh who knows? Um and but discourse in the internet age. Yeah. Patrick I think what Clubbing. I was I think the baseline argument of it was um I didn't I don't think we should have closed comment like this is this, like reductive, but like closing comment sections because there are shitty people on the internet is not like the way forward, it's like actually having like competent moderation practices right. that um, allow normal people to have discussions. Um, but I had to write that into like a 20 minute like thing to say. And but I wasn't allowed to like print out what I was saying. Right. I wasn't allowed to read off of bullet points either. I had to just memorize 20 minutes of words and. I hated that. I spent weeks doing. <laughs> yep, there. Yep, there it is, Kato. Uh, and uh, I spent weeks memorizing this and weeks stressing over it. It was also uh-huh. the same year that my dad died, and so I'm like under all sorts of emotional distress. Maybe it was the year after. It was close enough that I was still like randomly crying in hallways. Uh. So like sometime <laughs> within a vicinity that I was like still emotionally very fragile. Um, and so we'll excuse just, we'll excuse the the uh, is that a goatee I guess this is back when <laughs> yeah no Kata you were on a you were on an interview earlier today yeah in which we discussed I yes I briefly tried to to adopt facial hair and I concluded it wasn't great <laughs> but I did do it for a couple of years because. We only live once yeah we have to see what'll happen um, yeah try it out and I did get through it and I did. The vast majority, I didn't end up memorizing and getting through the vast majority of the talk, but I never want to do that again. I, I, that, that, it's one thing to, like, have to give a talk that you've written so that you have a good sense of what you want to say. Right. And then you're writing bullet points to help you, like, you have bullet points that are part of the presentation. Right. But then there are bullet points that are about what you want to say about that presentation. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't Your allowed to do that. different. There were no notes that I could that I could look at. It was only the things that were I had made as part of the the slides. That's so, insane. Yeah, it wasn't great. I don't remember why that was the case, but I didn't enjoy it, um, and I don't ever want to do it again. So, we had we uh, we ran one of these out of my uh, college back in the day. I had, I had to run tech, but we had we had to set up like multiple monitors facing the screen so that people could see their notes. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They didn't work or something like that. Oh, I can't remember. No. But it's it's it sucked. It was it's a very like, stressful. Yeah, that's like uh, the worst endeavor. way to do that. Yeah, you made it through, I don't though. recommend it because uh, I didn't enjoy it, but I got through it. Um, I didn't pass out on stage. Uh, so thank you to uh, uh, Patrick and Tampa and all the other people that have uh, written in to tell us of their own. Uh, if there are other, I would love to hear more of these. Please, like, please write in if you have had similar experiences. 
we will continue to share them. Uh, last but not least, uh, Keith from Calgary. High pointers of the way. Hearing about Renata's gaming experiences playing Silent Hill has got me thinking about the biggest gaming-related lie I have ever told. As a teenager, I was a huge fan of Resident Evil 1 and 2. So when the original Silent Hill dropped on PS1, I eagerly rented it. However, after playing just a couple hours, I was incredibly down on the experience. As I loudly proclaimed to all my friends and anyone who would listen, I thought the game was garbage compared to Resident Evil. The gameplay, too awkward and clumsy. The fog, a lame attempt to cover up draw distances. The static on the radio when enemies were near, that just killed all the tension and prevented jump scares. 20 years later, I can now safely admit that all these were blatant lies. <laughs> lies I told myself and my friends to cover up for the fact that after a few hours of playing Silent Hill, I was just too freaked out to keep going. <laughs> and all the yes. elements that I criticized were just feeding into my discomfort. In a classic 17-year-old boy move, I tried to cover up my insecurities with excessive bluster, rage quitting, and rage quitting one of the most the best horror franchises of gaming history. Oh my god. So, my question for y'all, do you have a big gaming lie lurking in your past? Have you ever lied about your feelings for a game to friends and colleagues? Or exaggerated your skill in a particular game? Most importantly, have you ever lied to yourself about a game? <laughs> or am I the only coward here? Keep up the great work. Fuck capitalism. Fuck turfs. Fuck Musk. Keith from Calgary. Oh my god. A great lie. Yeah. I, feel, I can't. Hmm. I feel like I must have something. I mean, it's definitely true. I've talked about this before mm-hmm. in which I'm a big horror fan. Uh, in years past, I've done a lot of streaming of horror games. But I don't really like playing horror games. Not by myself. I like enjoy doing them on streams because it's with an audience. I enjoy playing them with other people because that that is an audience. But me, by myself, in a room, in the dark, I don't... I've, I have found... Maybe this is something that's happened as I've gotten a little older. But I remember this when I reviewed the most recent Amnesia game, Amnesia Rebirth. Like, I'm just not really... I mean, okay, that game wasn't very good, but even the parts were that were working and were tense. Yeah, I'm just not like this is not enjoyable. Like I'm not having fun with the roller coaster of emotions that I normally get out of horror. And it's moments like that that I realized how much of my enjoyment of that genre, whether it's in film or whether it's in a video game, is actually intrinsically tied to community and being around other people. Mm. Um, so it's not really a great mm. lie as much as I think if people were to ask or like describe me, sure. they would say, well, gee, he loves to play the horror, horror games. Like, well, it's a horror guy. Patrick Klepek, yeah, the horror, horror guy. guy. Horror guy. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. But like when you reduce it down to if it was just me, would I be spending much time playing horror games? I actually don't. I, I think the answer is probably no, or at least like far fewer than than I do now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't lie a lot. I'm very truthful. <laughs> I feel like. God, I will just tell you if they're garbage. Yeah. At something. I'm trash. I'm trash. I am trash. <laughs> I'm trash at lots of things. Uh, but that is still very good. I appreciate uh, the story uh, about lying. Yeah. I'm glad you could come clean 20 years later. You know, here 
waypoint here at waypoint very safe space to tell people you don't know how words are pronounced yeah you stop playing games not because you thought they were bad because you were scared like come here we'll help we will you can unload <laughs> your gamer tra- your trauma here and it's like low key trauma right yeah. like you know this is just like a little mild embarrassment um but one that has stuck with you please continue to write in to gamingadvice.com with the topic questions and uh we're not therapists we're not going to help you get past this but we can read it to a sizable audience and maybe that will give you maybe, some form of maybe that's helpful. by having it yeah. out there <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you let it go you let it go and if you would like to uh support that that communal catharsis you know you could go to waypointplus.com uh we are currently running a sale for waypoint plus um our subscription service that unlocks streams for everybody uh you now get podcasts ahead of time like sports where you get it on a you get it on a wednesday before everyone else gets it on a saturday uh you get all podcasts without ads do you want to hear rob and i talk about meat again maybe some of you do maybe some of you don't (laughs) um I just did one about meat. Rob and I told then we were told we have to do another one. And I was like, Rob, no you meat. talk about the meat this meat. time. Meat. Uh if meat. you don't want to hear that, uh, you can go to waypointplus.com. It also just broadly supports uh the endeavors we are doing uh within Vice. It is a huge amount of why we have the latitude that we do to kind of pursue whatever we think both you want uh want us to do and also what we want to do. And we are very grateful uh for the support. So uh as I mentioned at the top, uh, if you want uh, to just stack subscriptions right now, uh, the best way to do that is to go to waypointplus.com, scroll down to where you can gift yearly subscriptions and gift that to yourself. Uh, otherwise, if you have an active subscription uh, that, let's say, does not expire until June, uh, if you sign up now with the promo code WayHoliday, promo code is WayHoliday, Way uh, you will get you will get that. Uh, that that money off that coupon will uh, apply when it expires. Um, so you will still get that, even though it's not going to go through immediately. Um, if you have any confusion or questions, please just make sure to ping any one of us or the Waypoint account on Twitter, and we will help your customer service needs. Uh, but with that, um, oh come on, Asana, load up that that outro. That's a wrap on today's episode <laughs> of Waypoint Radio. You think I can memorize simple sentences like that, but no, I need, I need that written down. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us at Waypoint on Twitter, uh, Waypoint Vice on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, like I mentioned, this uh, podcast is brought to you ad-free if you're a subscriber over at waypointplus.com. Wait, this is an Asana? Uh, music- well, I put the outro in Asana oh, so wow. that I don't have to have it in a smart. Google Doc. Yeah. Our theme music is Bowen, but the track is Miss You off the EP, Pale Machine. You can learn more at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. You can follow me and what I'm up to at Patrick Lepic. Kato, what about you? Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, I'm at A underscore Kato underscore appears. Whenever I do the, the, the like twice when I posted a thing, I just mm-hmm. kind of like remember the cadence and pull it from the ether. And I've always missed mm-hmm. something that way, but still. I feel like I felt like I got most of it. This is waypointblue.com. That's what well, do don't tell people about that. <laughs> tell people about waypoint blue. <laughs> that's, that's that's cost that costs more than 
what you're paying it's right now. Plus. Waypoint yeah. Waypoint Plu.com. Yeah, you yeah. Well that's there's after dark and then there's waypoint plu.com. Uh when you by the time you listen to this, we will have streamed uh watching the game awards. We will yeah. have streamed playing the vast majority of the back half of the quarry. Oh, we just have a little bit left of that so game. <laughs> uh we'll see if we can find time to finish that before the end of the year, but uh we're gonna start running out of time. Uh we uh, I will be playing Cyberpunk 2077 all day on Friday uh, when when you listen to this. Uh, so we'll have that and much more coming up uh, in the days to come as we head towards the end of the year. Uh, but that's it for now. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Until then. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Fuck capitalism. Go home.